Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church Podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. Well, again, happy Mother's Day to everyone. It is my joy to bring the word this morning. If you will turn to Isaiah 35, Isaiah 35, and it is also uh, such a privilege to be able to tag team this message um, with a couple of amazing uh, preachers up here. And as I, as I get to travel, one of the things that I tell the, tell the guys is this, guys, watch out because God is raising up an amazing generation of anointed women to straight up preach the gospel. And so um, to have on this stage with me, Pastor Brandy Hargett, our women's pastor, and also one of our Southeastern University students, Miss Emma Brownlee, and also uh, Emma works at the church involved with Southeastern. And so uh, y'all, I heard this at 9.15, and they can straight up bring it, so get ready, get ready this morning. The, the uh, title of the word that God has put on our heart for you, uh, not, just, not just for the ladies, although there will be specific application, um, but really for everyone in the room, is called Desert, Desert Bloom. I want to preach to you this morning about Desert Bloom. Multiple deserts around the world and on different continents experience a climactic uh, phenomenon that if you were to walk into the desert most days, you would see what you would expect to see in a desert. It would be dry, it would be hot, it would be uh, very, very, there would be very little plant life or animal life. You would see conditions that on the surface seem to be very barren. You would not find water or much vegetation or that sort of thing. But a desert bloom occurs once every year or once every several years when, when there will be rain that happens in the desert. And, and so just below the surface just below the surface of a land that didn't appear to be producing any kind of beauty or any kind of fruit. As soon as that water hits there, all of these flowers come come to life and begin to blossom. And just a, rem- just a reminder uh, this morning that just because you can't see it yet in your life doesn't mean God isn't doing it. Just, just a reminder, maybe uh, tell the person next to you, God's not done with me yet. Maybe just remind them there's things in my life that are there. You just can't see them. Like it, this, this would be a good opportunity, teenager, to tell your mama, I wanted to clean my room this week. It just hadn't come to the surface yet. Just some things like, God, God is, aren't you thankful that God works below the surface of our lives? That when we walk through seasons, anybody ever been through a desert? That when we walk through seasons when we don't see on the outside what we would like to see, that it doesn't mean that God is not working beneath the surface in our lives. God desires to bring these desert blooms. This is a, by the way, this is a desert bloom church. So if you walked into this place because mama promised you macaroni if you would come to church with her, you didn't just come for carbs. You came for Jesus. God's got a word for you this morning. And I believe, you. by the way, you don't have to be nervous. Nobody's going to get beat up. Nobody's going to get yelled at. We're just going to speak life over you and speak the power of God over your life. Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah chapter 35. Even in the wilderness, say wilderness. And desert, say desert. 
Even there, even those places will be glad in those days. And the wasteland, say wasteland, will rejoice and blossom and blossom and blossom as the rose. Your wilderness, your desert, your wasteland. Everybody in this room, regardless of age, regardless male or female, has walked through seasons or is in a season or will walk through a season where it's a wilderness, where it's a desert, or where it's a wasteland. Wilderness, places in your life when you feel alone. Deserts, places in your life that seem unproductive. And wastelands, places in your life that you've made a mess of. Anybody walk through any of those seasons at any point in your life? Come on, say amen. But here's the great news is that God says, God says just because it's a wasteland doesn't mean it's a wasted land. Because God is in the business of stepping into deserts. He's in the business of stepping into wastelands. He's in the business. We serve a God that can redeem even the worst parts of your life. That's what kind of church you walked into this morning is a church that believes in the power of God to redeem the worst in you, not just the best in you. So let's take a look at this. Right off the bat, Christ can come alive in your wilderness. Times in your life when you feel alone. Maybe you're not alone, but maybe you feel alone, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever walked through a season like that, that if somebody really pressed you, no, come on, you've got, you've got a friend that you can call. Yeah, yeah, I, I know I do. Come on, you've got a family member that you can lean on. You've got brothers and sisters in Christ. So I'm not talking about the fact that you are alone, but That doesn't change the fact that sometimes we feel alone. In fact, it's easy sometimes to feel alone even when you're in a crowd of people. Do you know one of the things that the enemy is really good at is isolating people even in the context of community? So you can be having dinner this afternoon with your family and they can be a wonderful loving family, but the enemy can still make you feel alone in the middle of that, in the middle of of dinner. You can walk into a church that is a loving and friendly church, but the enemy can still make you feel isolated in the middle of that. So what do, you, what do we do when we walk through seasons in our life when the enemy is just trying to, he's trying to isolate us? He's trying to say, you're alone. He's trying to say, nobody understands what you're going through. Try, trying to say that people will nod and smile at you, but they don't really understand. You know how the enemy does. He gets in your mind and, t- and says these type of things. I was remembering the... Uh, the third installment in the, in the Narnia series. So like chronologically, as, it, as when it was written, it's not the third book, but chronologically in the, in the series, it's the third book. So this is the, the uh, Narnia series that C.S. Lewis wrote, Lion and Witch in the Wardrobe would be the most famous of those. But this is The Horse and His Boy. Um, is this book, and, it, and it's the third installment in the series, and it's, it's really the only one where uh, the Pensy's children are not the main characters in the story. It's about a boy named Shasta and his horse Bree, and, and not only uh, are the Pensy's children not the main character, but really we don't hear much of Aslan. It kind of reminds me of the book of Esther. So the book of Esther, one of the books in the canon of Scripture... Um, that we believe is the absolute authoritative inspired word of God. Do you know that that book does not mention the name God? God is not written in the book. You know, it's kind of like seasons in your life. Just because God isn't obvious doesn't mean he's not still at work. 
Just because you can't see it, just because you can't hear his voice, doesn't mean he's not still working behind the scenes. And so in this story, Shasta, uh, Shasta was an orphan, but he, but he never knew it. He was raised by the Kalor, uh, the Kalor man, by this uh, man by the name of Arshish, who was a fisherman. They never had a good relationship. Shasta overhears Arshish one day talking about the fact that he's going to sell Shasta. And so Shasta actually got a little bit excited because he's like, I knew it. We never connected. He's not my real dad. And so Bree, Bree is actually a horse from Narnia. And remember, animals can talk in Narnia. So Bree comes to Shasta and he's like, let's escape. Let's get out of here because he was held captive by the same group. And so uh, Bree and Shasta escape. And so they have, their, they have their moment of escape, but they escape to the, the desert. Kind of reminds me of the story of the Israelites in the book of Exodus. So God delivers them from captivity. He delivers them from slavery out of Egypt. But they are delivered from and then they walk through the, the desert. Kind of reminds me of when you got saved. Is that when, remember when you got saved? Remember that moment like everything was right in the world. Every worship song was written for you. Every message was like God is talking directly to me. Even when people were mean to you, it was like this is an opportunity for me to show the love of Jesus. Like everything was perfect, but then you walked through a desert, didn't you? You walked through a time where the enemy tried to get in your head, hey, that decision you made wasn't really real. That was emotion, and now you can't feel God's presence when you're reading the Bible like you did three weeks ago, so something must be wrong with you. You know, you know how the enemy works. You remember the, maybe some of you are in a desert right now. I'm telling you, the voice, it's like everything gets real barren in the desert except the voice of the enemy, and the voice of the enemy gets louder. And then he starts talking to you. So Shasta and Bree are walking through the desert. They walk through seasons of danger. They walk through places where they don't understand going, what's going along. And then, and then finally, it's like kind of the climax of this. It's night. It's dark. Shasta can't see anything around him. He's afraid. He's really lonely. A tear rolls down his cheek. And then suddenly, he kind of feels like there might be something or somebody around him, which if you're in the dark and already afraid is exactly the thing that you want to feel. Like, I'm not the only person in the room. And so Shasta, it's in this moment that, that Shasta be begins to have this conversation. And I'm, I want to read this because only C.S. Lewis can be C.S. Lewis. So the thing, unless it was a person, went on beside him so very quietly that Shasta began to hope that he'd only imagined it. But just as he was becoming quite sure of it, there suddenly came a deep, rich sigh out of the darkness beside him. That couldn't be imagination. Anyway, he had felt the hot breath of the sigh on his chilly left arm. Who are you? He said scarcely above a whisper. One who has waited long for you to speak, said the thing. Its voice was not very loud, but it was deep. Are, 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 you, are you a giant, asked Shasta. You might call me a giant, said the large voice, but I am not like the creatures you call giants. But I can't see you at all, said Shasta, after staring very hard. Then, almost in a scream, he said, you're not, you're not something dead, are you? Oh, please, please do go away. What harm have I ever done to you? I am the unluckiest person in the whole world. Once more, he felt the warm breath of the thing on his hand and face. There, it said, this is not the breath of a ghost. Tell me your sorrows. 
Shasta was a little reassured by the breath, so he told him how he had never known his real father or mother and had brought up sternly by fishermen. And then he told the story of his escape and how they were chased by lions and forced to swim for their lives. All of the dangers in Tashban and about the night among the tombs and the beasts that howled at him out in the desert. And he told him about the heat and the thirst of their desert journey and how when they were almost to their goal, another lion chased them and wounded them and how very long it had been since he had anything to eat. I do not call you unfortunate, said the large voice. But don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions, asked Shasta. There was only one lion, said the voice. What on earth do you mean? I just told you we're at least to the first night, and there was only one, but he was swift of foot. How do you know? I was the lion. And as Shasta gaped with open mouth and said nothing, the voice continued. I was the lion who forced you to join with Abrus. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses their new strength for fear of the last mile so that you could reach King Loon in his time. I was the lion who you do not remember who pushed the boat which you, with you lay, a child near death so that it came to shore where a man wakeful at midnight to receive you. Can I tell you this morning that you may be walking through a season in your life where it's dry, where it's lonely, where on the outside you don't feel God's presence, where you're saying, God, where are you? But he is your lion. He is the God that walks with you when you feel it and when you don't. He is the God. He is the God that does things for you that you don't recognize until you look back and see it 10 years later. You might feel alone this morning, but can I remind you that you are not alone. Hallelujah. 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 You may also feel like you're in a season where you just cannot hear God's voice. You just cannot. There's no flow to your season right now. Everything is hard. There's just a dryness. There's no joy. There's just, there's just this disconnect. Something is just not right. Let me give you a promise from God's word. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. Oh, I want that to, that's the cry of my heart is that my life would display the glory of God, that it would display the splendor of our God. But there's been seasons in my life where that is the last thing I was displaying. There's seasons in my life I went through 16 years of infertility and and failed adoptions. I was not displaying the glory of God. I withdrew. I wanted to just hunker down. I hid. I felt paralyzed. Had nothing to give anybody, much less hearing the voice of the Lord. I just wanted to get through the season. Just get through the desert season. One definition that we hear of the desert is that deserts are a hostile place to avoid. And that is definitely how I was feeling. Steve and I were the music pastors at the church at that time. And we come in on that Sunday morning after a failed adoption. And we say, we're here. 
we just have nothing, just let us be, just let us survive the day. And they would just come alongside of us, gird us up, give us strength. But what I learned through that time and what I want to encourage you with today, if you're feeling that way this morning, is just a what if. What if there's a plan and a purpose for this desert season? What if there's a place that God wants to take you and a revelation he wants to give you of himself that only going through this season is going to bring to your life? I would not give anything for what I learned about God in that season. And I don't want to miss an opportunity to learn even more about him, even if it means going through those tough seasons. If we want to experience God like nobody else, he may just call us to go through a season that nobody else has gone through. But it's worth it to get to that place with him. There's a, a species of roundworm. Sorry to talk about roundworms on a Sunday morning. But it's, in, it's cool. There's a species of roundworm that lives in the desert. And it's a species that lives below the desert surface where there's low oxygen, high temperatures, high pressure, low, low food supply. Um, and they live in this subsurface where the surface of the desert has food, it has oxygen, it has all those things. But it also has unstable environment, it has freezing one moment, drought one moment, um, scorching sun, all those things. It's, it's um, unpredictable and it's hard to live on that surface. So they just go deeper. They live in that subsurface, even though there's a lot of pressure, even though there's low oxygen. And these things are so resilient. They even found that they have survived a crash of the Columbia uh, shuttle when it, it came through the Earth's surface and broke up into the pieces. They survived that descent into the Earth's atmosphere. They found them living on, the, on the, the remnants of this. They're so resilient. So they began to study these worms and find out what in the world caused them to be so strong and so resilient. And one of the things that they found was when their atmosphere becomes unstable in that subsurface, even if the oxygen uh, falls a little bit more or the temperatures goes up a little bit more, instead of running to the, the surface where you would think they could, you know, get their head above water or where there's oxygen, they actually dig deeper. They go deeper into the subsurface. And they found that there's reservoirs, you know, under the desert, and they're just digging closer to that reservoir where they're going to get that resource that they need. And so I thought, wow, in our deserts, if we could just learn, instead of trying to come up for air and avoid these seasons, if we could just get our strength about us and go a little deeper, if we could just go deeper in his word and find the promises that he has for us there, if we could just go a little deeper into his presence, in his presence is fullness. And he says that he has so much more that he wants to tell us. He has mysteries that he wants to reveal to us about what he's doing. And I, I dare say even a mystery about the season that we're in. He's gone before us and he doesn't even want us to survive our season. He wants us to thrive in our season, but the answers are found deeper. The answers are found at the source. They're found at the source. So we have to go deeper. Two years ago, I found myself going through a season of cancer. And a couple of things that he spoke to me in that season were this. Number one, Brandy, I am the big C, not cancer. I am Christ, the anointed one. 
And that's what you're going to hold on to. Don't be afraid to say that word. Don't even put it in capital letters because in the English it's not in capital unless it's at the beginning of a sentence. But I have friends that will put, I have quote, capital C quote. No, 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 no. <laughs> he is the big C, Christ the anointed one. Amen. He's the name above all names. And cancer is just a name. The second thing he taught me through that journey was this. Brandy, you say that I order your steps. What about now? What about now that your steps have been ordered into an oncology office? What do you say now? I say, Lord, what appointment do you have for me in this oncology office? Because you are good no matter where my steps order me. You are in charge of my life. And like we sang, you reign. You reign. So it doesn't matter what you're going through. And now, everybody that comes to pray for me, I have cancer. Well, I'm a cancer survivor. Let me tell you what God can do. Amen. And you turn your season. He can turn your season. He can use it. Hallelujah. Now listen, God, we know that God is a miracle working God. He can come into our desert seasons and he can take that dry landscape and he can turn it around to that lush landscape in a moment. We know that. But what if this is the time where he's wanting to teach you to grow where you're planted? What if he's wanting to give you the tools that you need to go to the next level or disciplines in your life for where he wants to take you as the bride of Christ that he created you to be? What if? I love an analogy my husband teaches sometimes about life as a video game. And you've got to get your tools on every level so you can go to the next level. So let's not miss what he's doing in this season so we can go on to the next one. Amen. You know people that have gone through difficult times. And what do they always say? They say, I would not wish this on my worst enemy. I don't want any of you to sit in the oncology appointment. I don't want any office. I don't want any of you to go through infertility. But listen. I would not give anything for those seasons in my life because it's in those seasons in my life that I learned who God was. I knew who he was, but then I experienced who he was in those seasons. Amen. You think about Mary and Martha. They knew that God could heal. They knew Jesus could heal Lazarus, but they didn't know that he was the resurrection. So when he came, he allowed Lazarus to die because he wanted to reveal a deeper revelation of himself. Let's don't miss those opportunities to get to know him more. Church, Let's receive all that he has for us in every season he has for us. And let's be strong and let's not fear because he is able and there is life in every season, in every desert. Amen. Amen. Sorry. So point three, um, your wasteland. So your wasteland, the places in your life that you thought you made a mess of, the places in your life where they're, they're not too pretty. You don't necessarily want to put them on Instagram. You don't necessarily want to talk about them. I like to refer to them as the, the forgotten years, the forgotten times, the, the blackout stuff. Um, Isaiah 35 says this, Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. Um, when I was 18 years old, I made a decision. I made a decision not to let the lies the enemy, fed, the enemy fed me anymore control myself, the lies that I fed myself, the lies that those around me told me, the lies that my depression told me, hold me any longer. Um, I made a, this decision on my own, and it wasn't through an act of cleaning myself up. I didn't do this. It wasn't a five-step process. It wasn't that I, I didn't hear a motivational speaker say it. It wasn't something I pinned on my Pinterest board. Um, I simply woke up, quite literally. So... I was 17 years old. 
I'm 21 now, but at the time I was 17 years old. It was the summer before my senior year of high school, um, and I woke up on the bathroom floor of a home that was not my own. Um, I woke up to my best friend at that time waking me up um, frantically um, and said, get up, get up, you, you gotta go, you, you gotta get out of here. Um, and I woke up and I, I remember being so sweaty and, and getting up and looking in the mirror of this bathroom and kind of being like, I, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, and looking at myself in this mirror and seeing um, floor marks on my cheek and, and grass in my hair. Um, and I realized that I was missing some of the items that I had came with and it, it turns out that I had attended a party uh, the summer before my, you know, my senior year of high school um, and I had blacked out and I had no idea where I was or what I was doing. Um, and that night haunted me for the rest of my senior year of high school. Um, I had slipped into one of the deepest depressions I could ever think of because I was so concerned about what everybody else was saying about me, what was going on behind closed door doors. I remember being in class my senior year of high school and somebody would jokingly bring up this night and, and my hands would start to sweat and my heart would start to race and anxiety would come over me and it would be like, I, I'm ruined. I'm ruined. I've got to get out of here. I have to have an escape. I have to leave. Mom, I'm going to college in Hawaii. I'm not coming back. I'm joining the Peace Corps. I'm leaving. This is it. It's the end. I'm going. I wanted to lock myself in my bedroom. Um, I was trapped suddenly in my own personal wasteland, and I felt that there was no way out. Um, but the shame that I felt was no match for the redemption that I yearned for ultimately. Fast forward a few, a few months into my senior year of high school and I found myself face down, hands laid out on a, on a concrete floor in Lake Lore, North Carolina at a spring breakaway, screaming out to the Lord that I was his, that I was sorry, God, it's all yours, it's not mine anymore. This brokenness, this shame, this regret, this anxiety, it's not of you and it's not of me anymore. This wasteland isn't mine anymore. The thing is, he didn't wait for me to get clean. I was not clean on that concrete floor in North Carolina. We were at camp. I was not clean. Um, but he was not impressed with my faulty attempt of getting myself together to come into the throne room. He said, come in, bring your dirtiness, bring your shame, bring your anxiety, because I am yours. He called me his. He called me chosen, and he called me redeemed. You see, the truth is, there's no way out of a wasteland. It's not about your escape route. It's about your welcome mat. It, who you invite into your wasteland makes all the difference. See, Isaiah 43, 19 says this. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams and the wasteland. When we invite the Lord, he comes in and he makes them clean. He makes them whole. That's not relocation. That's invitation. That's not you cleaning yourself up. That's him doing it. That's not us running behind and saying, I've got to get clean. I've got to get this ready. I've got to get this together. No, no, no. That's inviting him in to do that for you. The thing is, sometimes I think people have this strange idea, I don't know where we get this from, that we have to be perfect for God to use us, that we have to be clean and we have to be ready. But if there is anything that I've learned in these last three years is that you just have to invite him. 
Because when we invite him, my pleas for him met mine. And when I was begging for him, he was also begging for me. The thing that I love about Isaiah 43 is that we see the Lord working within the context of our wilderness. He didn't ask me to leave. He didn't say, Emma, time to leave Concord High. Time to leave what you're doing. Time to get off the soccer field. Stop doing these things. No, no, no. He said, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use these high school years. I'm going to use these friends. I'm going to use these things. I'm making a way in the wilderness. I'm not pulling you out of the wilderness. I'm making a way in the wilderness. And I'm invading your space. I'm invading your shame with waves of mercy and rivers of joy. Now, please don't get me wrong here. My wasteland was a product of my own mistakes. I did it to myself. I chose to walk into that house that night. But it wasn't that the Lord was ignoring me all those years. It wasn't that he was just letting it happen and just letting all these bad things come over me. It was that I was simply refusing to acknowledge him. He was there the whole time. He was there the entire time. It just took me simply saying, I don't want it anymore. It's not mine and I can't do it on my own anymore. See, the things that I thought that were useless in my life, the things that I thought that would never come to pass, the dreams that I had became my tools. The grades I thought would get me nowhere, the shame, the regret, what I thought was going to be my downfall actually turned into my springboard. Um, Pastor John used to say this to me all the time, and it was about what, when we walk through the fire, we don't, we don't smell like smoke anymore. He would just be like, you don't smell like smoke anymore. And, and I would say this, I think sometimes we're so scared that we still smell like garbage. We're still so scared that we're going to smell like garbage, but what the Lord does when he walks in is he cleans the slate. You don't have to smell like garbage anymore after your wasteland. You don't have to. It's not on you anymore. What is on you is a clean slate. It's redeemed. It's within you. It's rivers of mercy. What I thought was going to be my downfall actually turned into my springboard, and the places I thought would never bear fruit were the first to blossom. Isaiah 35, 1 says this, even the desert in the, even the wilderness in the desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom as the rose. Church, he's waiting for our invitation. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Here at CFA Church, it is our deepest hope that you have found the place that you can call home. For more information about this community or to find out how you can connect, simply head over to cfachurch.com where you can plan a visit right from the website. It is our prayer that you will continue to love Jesus and change the world. God bless you.